general nerdery. So I'm never quite sure what to do with Paul Giamatti anytime I'm watching a movie. I usually just reimagine him as the rhino again. Oh, okay. See, uh, the problem is I always like him. Every time I yeah. see Paul, he's fun. But I always think of him from that movie where he's the bad guy against the Malcolm in the Middle kid. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> because that's where I first, like, a stupid kids movie. Right. So I'm like, what are you doing in the murder? Pl oh, right. You're, yeah, you're that was the here. outlier for you. Uh <laughs> um, either that or I think of him voicing the trailer for the animated goon movie that we never got. Oh, that's good. God, I was so excited for him to be the rhino, and then all we got was like 10 nothing. seconds. Oh, I was so mad. Uh, anyways, welcome to General Nerdery, a podcast about liking things. In this case, some Paul Giamatti. Um, we're your generals <laughs> of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Uh, no, wait. Let's say it's <laughs> Gunpowder Milkshake. You've probably seen the name of this episode already, but we're not going to be talking about Paul no, Giamatti. No, I was literally all day leading today. into that. I just. <laughs> That's where we're at, apparently. Um, <laughs> just, I just want to be clear. This isn't going to be a <laughs> show where Giamatti, we're going to be sit here and be like, yeah. Actually, that'd be fucking fascinating. Like his career looks like it. His career, even though I only like about half the movies he's in, that's one I'd be like, I just like what I like that you get to do stuff like this. Like, <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking about the Netflix movie Gunpowder Milkshake. Which honestly, Paul Giamatti's in. <laughs> and honestly, outside of this, I have, like, nothing to say about him in this movie. I just... Yeah, that's about <laughs> it. Um, I might have a little bit more, but it's probably only going to be, like, three or four sentences. It, it was fun. Um, but before that, what yeah, have we been ingesting? We've been ingesting. We've got news. We'll start with ingesting. Uh do you want to start with ingesting this time? Because I got a shit ton, so I'll just end it off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, I had a, thought I had a slight moment to take a drink there. Um, mostly this week, I have been catching up on the podcast Lore by uh, Aaron Mankey. It's fucking great. Weird stories. You know, the episodes I listened to today was like Poisoners and Victorian Era Murderers and Haunted Hotels and Bacteria. Ooh. Like parasites mm -hmm. and stuff like just bad to creepy level of like things that have happened in the world, but told in like a really relaxing voice and like good piano music in the back. It's just it's a very well done podcast. I need to get more into it. I tried back when it was first starting to blow up. Mm -hmm. I listened to a little bit. I liked it. I just I really like in some cases I like the earlier episodes better. They're a little rougher, but, like, mm -hmm. you feel a little more of the person in it. But, I mean, he's been redoing some of the early ones. So, obviously, he oh, also is in that line of, like, they were fine. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I know what I'm doing now. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I understand that. I've had that thought about subjects we've done. I mean, since we're free range, we can't just, like... Oh, I... I will straight up say there is an episode that we will be redoing for fried squirms for probably a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> My least favorite episode, but. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. I have a few like that, <laughs> but mostly it's been that I, I really love lore. I just fell off a while back and with podcasts, if you let them go for too long it gets hard to like jump back in. Mm -hmm. Um, and then other than that, I saw, Two episodes of Ted Lasso season two have come out so far. I've yep. seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I've like, watched them both so far. I have it ready, and I just have not had time, and it's been pissing me off. Uh, just a quick, like, what did you think of the first one? I really liked it. 
Uh, there were a few scenes that felt weird, a few moments that felt weird to me. Uh, uh, without going too much into spoilers, Danny's dream felt out of character. Oh, okay. They have that brief animated yeah. bit, and it wasn't badly done. It just felt like a weird choice for Ted Lasso to me. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, if that's my biggest critique, we're doing okay. Right. Um, yeah, it didn't blow me away, but I really liked it. And I think, like, the parts that I brushed up most against... I'm supposed to brush up against because they're kind of the conflicts that are being set up for the season. Okay. If you haven't watched Ted Lasso, just skip like two minutes ahead. I just really wanted like, so, <laughs> uh, Nate's issues, whatever they might be so far. Oh, Nate being a little dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, uh, that needs to come to a head at some point. Somebody's oh, going to have to call him on that more really badly. Um, and just like the, the overall vibes in the room whenever Ted's around the sports psychologist, which is kind of being set up as the whole arc for at least the first half of the season. Yeah, no, I mean, he he openly has a conversation being like, I try, but I'm uncomfortable with therapists. Yes. So that is, yeah. Like, oh, Ted, no. But it's, like, it's just that <laughs> it is one of those things where it's done well enough that, like, I feel uncomfortable being, mm -hmm. in, quote unquote, in the room. Yeah, it's not badly done. It's just the, like, Oh, we can see what the through plot lines. Season two first episodes are always difficult, in my opinion, because you have to, like, bring us up to date with where pretty much every character is. You have to set up a bunch of threads for the new season. But you also have to tell an entertaining story in your own right. Mm -hmm. And this one mostly did set up more than anything else. Yeah, like, <laughs> but it was still it was good, well episode. Yeah. good episode. Good um, episode. Okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> we're done. Um... Yeah, those are my big two. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> let's get into this. I let's see. I'd I'd mentioned I'd started reading Hawkspox a while ago. House, House of, of X, X Powers, Powers of, of X. X, Powers of Ten, Powers of Ten, the beginning of the current X Men era by Jonathan Hickman. If you're not weirdos like us, <laughs> I finally finished that off, and I'm also like three or four issues into like the Dawn of X era stuff. But I'm doing it in the like. Reading order, reading order. So like, I've not been brave Marauders. enough to do this yet. So, uh, good on you. How yeah. is it? I, I mean, I am loving this Hickman era of X Men. This might be some of my favorite comics I've read In since the time. Jason Aaron Thor run, which was your big guy. Yeah. From what I have read of it, I don't have that same like holy shit love. But I'm like, these are some fucking amazingly even amazingly made comic books like on mm -hmm. every level every character or not character creator is firing at like 110 percent mm -hmm. um i will not know how great i think it is overall until probably it's over because for the most part i don't read hickman much until his run is coming to an end which is kind of smart because it's weird storytelling it's so convoluted and it is really built for that Long story. Hickman so. is exceptionally good at just giving you infor the information as you need it, tiny, tiny bit by tiny, tiny bit. And he's always got shit written in some weird secret language and like a clues in the background. And he's a fucking wild writer. I yeah. love him. But I have trouble keeping up with him month to month. What I am looking forward to, though is he's writing with other people a lot, which will hopefully um, fix some of Hickman's one weakness is his characters get a little um, 
stilted mm. because it's all about the big con- like the big play. So his person to person interactions are sometimes a little iffy. Yeah. To go along, there was a bunch of half things this because that was the last mm. half of Hawks Fox. <laughs> I watched the first half of Sweet Tooth on Netflix. Started that with my girlfriend. My mom is really into that. It's one. amazing. I never read Sweet Tooth. Like I'm going into this blind. I've read some Jeff Lemire, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm Mostly familiar like with his writing style. Some of his Animal Man stuff, like his New Fifty Two work. Yeah, um, it is fantastic it is really funny and sweet but also like dark and i've heard super good reviews and i've read heart-wrenching and i guess i've read some of his valiant stuff which was all pretty good Mm. um yeah i was (laughs) i was coming home from a camping trip with my wife and i'm starting i suddenly get texts from my mom being like where do i buy this comic book i'm like I never thought this day would come. <laughs> <laughs> I am prepared. Here's like five different options. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I am curious about the comic, although I understand it is uh, darker. Significantly darker. Uh, he said, uh, Lemire said that they made the choice to brighten up the TV show. Right. Cause while they were like walking dead's been on TV for eight years, we've had post-apocalyptic going. Mm-hmm. So what's it? different look at the post-apocalypse. Yeah. And you know, when I started this years ago, it made perfect sense. Now, who boy, we could use a little more levity in our life. Was Mm -hmm. what his interview sounded like the, the, the practical effects that they put on the kid are gorgeous. Everything about that show so far is gorgeous. I can't (laughs) wait to finish it off, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold off, continue watching it with my girlfriend. Do you know if it's getting another season? I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure actually production might start very soon on it. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I then, I intended to watch all of this, but they only dropped the first half of Masters oh, of the Universe Revelation. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might happen this weekend for me. I uh, I didn't realize Netflix was dropping it in halves. I thought they were dropping the whole damn thing. So I was very prepared to go through all of it was very saddened when it's only the first five episodes, super dug it and actually put our social media to use. And if you go check out our Twitter, I live tweeted watching all five episodes. I got to go check out our Twitter. I didn't know you did that. Um, uh, real quick. What is our Twitter handle? Because at general nerdery was already taken. We our Twitter t- handle is at nerdery general. Okay. Yeah, that works. And yeah, I went and, I'm actually, I really am excited to, anytime I'm going to binge through series, I'm not going to do this for individual episodes, Mm -hmm. but if I'm going to sit down and binge through something, especially if it's my first time, I'm probably just going to live tweet it from now on because I I had a lot of fun just throwing out my fucking thoughts as I was having them about Motu. I downloaded Twitter specifically to use this more often and just... We're so bad at social media. Oh, on yeah. this I'm podcast. terrible at social media, which is not helping us gain listeners at all. So My... thank you, all of you that are actually listening. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that reminds me. You said I could talk about this on the podcast real fast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll jump into what I actually thought of Motu real quick. Uh, yeah. I have set up a Patreon. It is not for podcast stuff, although... I have, it's mostly for my illustration and leather working, like my physical art stuff, but I have drawn while listening to our episodes before. So, uh, there'll probably be some crossover art. I did this while thinking about this character. Um, 
It is uh, Thumbs J on Patreon, just all one word. And it will warn you, not safe for work, uh, but only one level of it is because I draw a lot of pinups. I try to do tasteful, but like mm -hmm. still. And so there's the occasional butt and or nipple. So if that's going to bother you, don't do the $7 range. But otherwise, um, everything else. Check is it out. It's actually, I'm really <laughs> proud of it. It's uh, yeah, that's awesome. Sorry. Anyways, uh, no, that's fine. Of the universe. No, that's fine. In fact, uh, make sure to keep pimping yourself more often. Like I'll put the link on it. We'll try to put it in the uh, show notes. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Masters universe revelation, uh, as kind of mentioned before, I'm watching it mostly cause not even mostly for Kev on this one, because like, I love Kev, but I kind of don't necessarily care what he thinks about He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I don't really care about He-Man. Exactly. Like... <laughs> um, but Mark Bernardin was also riding on it. Who's his co-host on fat man beyond mm -hmm. and is, one of my favorite movie critics slash podcasters slash writers. And the cast is just fucking wild. And the cast is wildly amazing. Um, some crossover with the cast we're going to be talking about today with Lena. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, Mark Hamill being in there, finding out just who some of the guest voices were. Like, I guess not the guest voices. Triclops is actually a way bigger part than I thought he was going to be. Henry Rollins mm -hmm. fucking hams well, it. Sarah up. Michelle Geller is a mm -hmm. huge part in it. Like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching it. And after She-Ra and I fucking loved She-Ra and then I didn't, I didn't expect to go into She-Ra with great things. Cause like he man, it's She-Ra like, yeah. who the fuck cares? And now apparently I do. Yeah. That's so, the thing. Like I now <laughs> kind of care about master of the universe and like, Orko? <laughs> I am, I don't, because I haven't watched it yet, but I am ready to care about Masters of the Universe, and that has literally never in my life happened. So. And I really dug it, and those, like, uh, four to ten thousand neckbeards that are in a giant circle jerk fucking downvoting everything they can and sure putting out right-wing YouTube <laughs> videos uh, can fuck off. Honestly, yeah. Also, like, oh my god. I kind of wish, so I sometimes listen to the Sincast, which is a podcast that the, the Cinema Sins guys mm -hmm. do. I'm glad we don't do this because every one of their shows is like two and a half to three hours, and I don't want to edit that every single time. No, that's awful. But they do start with a rant almost every time from every <laughs> single one of them. And this week I was wanting to do that because all I have ingested is positive fucking Masters of the Universe stuff because I dug these first five episodes. Mm hmm and the only recommendations my YouTube has thrown at me in the past, like, four days have been extremely obvious right-wing, like, bad-faith reactions. Yeah. How, how dare they not make He-Man the main character in the first half of one season? Uh, also, uh, like... Not me actually yeah, saying oh, I just, know. like... <laughs> I just... Oh, my God. Like... He-Man is thematically the focus of the entire first half of the season. Also, they're like, it's not, it's called He-Man, not, I don't remember, I don't remember the main character's name, I'm sorry, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Like, it's not. It's not called He-Man, it's called Masters of the Universe. I'm still confused that I'm excited for a Masters of the Universe thing, but, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, get fucked. <laughs> I just, every, thanks to this shit continually popping up, Everything I'm seeing be, be said about this negatively 
is easily counterable by simply watching it. Yeah, I feel like I feel that about one of the uh, news show news things we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. Um, I don't know, like fucking. I, I was going to say, come at me if you want, like, but it's a, like people are already making these. Like I've been in these fucking message boards. Like people mm-hmm. are already making these arguments against you about why the show isn't doing what you're saying it's doing, and you all still aren't listening, so just go get fucked. Yeah, it's not really what, listening's (laughs) not really what that's about. Um, But also, if you actually (laughs) notice the numbers, it seems to be the same four to 10,000 people just jerking each other off across a bunch of different fucking platforms. That's a very vivid descriptor you're using right there. (laughs) And that's four to 10,000 people out of 220 million Netflix subscribers, so... Obviously, they're doing okay. Mm-hmm. It's also got just insanely good reviews. <laughs> like, again, for what's a a sequel to a giant toy commercial? Yeah. And guess what? It also still kind of works as that. Like, I want to buy the toys. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, let's dive into mm. the news. Oh, I'm sorry. You have another thing? I have. Uh, you yeah. been busy. Dude, I went nuts. <laughs> it was great. I'm, I'll just go quickly on these last two though because we're this is kind of a half recommend it's going to be my full-on recommendation so i'll talk about it more next week when i full-on recommend it but i watched hentified on netflix a comedy set in south like south la um dealing with gentrification but it's a comedy i'll talk about it more when i actually recommend it what did you say it was called hentified okay and then, oh, uh, yesterday I went and watched Green Knight. Yeah, I'm real excited for that movie. Yeah, um, it's already my favorite movie of the year. You, uh, you left, were going in telling me I it was I left be that. the movie wanting to immediately buy a ticket for the 8 o'clock showing. I just did not have the time yesterday. Oh, fuck. I, it's been so long since I've been able to watch a movie like that. It was fantastic. It's at the Roxy, which I'm kind of realizing is the only, like, theater I really want to go to anymore in town. Um, also at the AMC. Yeah, but, like, admittedly, I've kind of reached a point that unless it's, like, a Star Wars movie, if it's not at the Roxy, I'm probably not going to see it in theaters anymore. <laughs> Just it's where I'm at as a person. Oh, I want to see it, though. It is breathtaking. Uh, that should just be Dev Patel's look all the time, because <laughs> I cannot believe just how fantastically roguishly suave he looks in every frame of that movie. Even as a you know predominantly straight man on the Kinsey scale, he's fucking hot in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, everything about, and also crosses over a little bit with our movie today with uh, Ralph Ineson is the green knight in it. That's the crime Lord in this. Yeah. One? Oh, okay. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. see that. Uh, I, I'm still kind of just like basking in the afterglow of it and I can't give very much but muddled like praise, but like I left it immediately wanting to watch it again after like stretching my legs because I had just sat there for two hours. But I feel like we've just had a really good year for like good stuff coming out, especially because everything got pushed back through COVID. Mm -hmm. So all the stuff that's like really worth coming out is still coming out and it's happening now and suddenly... I don't know. Good art is coming out of this era, which is literally the only good thing to be happening in the world right now. So, um, oh, it's so fantastically arty. Anyway, 
Yeah. Uh, that's now I'm done. Okay. I told you I had shit done. <laughs> yeah, week. you did. All right, let's uh, start. Our Actually, there's even one more, but it's going to be my recommendation <laughs> for the week. <laughs> Newstastic four. Glad you did that because yours was so much better than mine. So for our Reed Richards, for the first time ever, scientists have seen the light from behind a black hole. Once again, proving Einstein correct. So when you heard this news, did you immediately think of the Red Dwarf white hole episode? No. I thought of the um, Star Trek, the original series, where they travel through a black hole because they confuse black hole and wormhole. Uh, And I was like, that's not how that works at all. (laughs) Don't. Don't don't do that. Because <laughs> um, I immediately thought of the white hole. And I was like, <gasps> and then I was like, oh, wait, it's we're not in Red Dwarf. No, we're not playing. I mean, that's still cool, but we're not playing pool with stars. That was such a wild episode. Yeah. OK, but to what actually real world happened here. Black holes are regions in space time where gravity's pull is so powerful that not even light can escape its grabs. It is. It's a big gravity thing. Sucks everything in, including light. Also, theoretically, time, which many, many sci-fis have taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. The idea is that it not just like crushes on the inside, but it warps everything around it, including light, time, et cetera, et cetera. So you should be able to see the light that comes from directly behind a black hole. Not just the stuff like on the sides. I'm explaining this very badly. I apologize. And Einstein in like 1916 was like, this is this is a thing that should exist. And only now in 2021, maybe 2020 when they originally got the image, I think. But still went. Oh, no, he was right. Yeah, there, there we again. go. There we go. Freaking again. Dude's math checks out. Not only this, but they're trying to use like the 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 uh, telescope they were able to capture this with. Mm hmm to 3D map a black hole, which is nowhere close to anything we've ever come close to. Like, we have found black holes and been like, yep, that's a black hole. That's about it. Mm -hmm. The fact that we might be 3D mapping one, it's one of those fun space things because it kind of changes physics forever and we're not really going to know, like, how it can change our understanding of the universe for, like, a couple of decades until we start seeing the results of it. But now that we know it's for sure, yeah, we can factor uh-huh. that into things. It's it, it, like <laughs> it's interesting with science discovery because you know, say you do find a cure for cancer, you're like, bam, immediate results. I know how that's going to help things. Like, we've mapped out a black hole. What's that mean? Don't know yet, but it'll be cool to find out. Yeah. <laughs> as far as like some of the other news we have, I didn't think about how we were going to classify what. Nope, none of the others really work. They're all. Just kind of big, cool things. <laughs> so let's start with the Venom trailer. Okay. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, trailer number two. Came out the day we're recording this. So let's just call it Johnny. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's hot. That's, our that's Johnny. new. People have excited, messaged me excited about it. I'm like, why is this movie coming up again? Like, you know, because I've been at work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a better look than that first trailer. Yeah, I... <sighs> You don't really need to hear it from us again. Both of us have a level of apathy about this movie coming out. We'll both probably end up seeing it for various reasons. Um, I have a friend who wants to see it with me, and I'm like, well, 
I love you more than I'm apathetic about Venom. So absolutely, let's do this. Right. But yeah. Carnage looks good. Yeah, Carnage looks. I agree. When we were watching the trailer, you mentioned he could be a little bit more red. He's a slight bit pinky. Yeah, I agree. I wish he was a little bit more red, but he looks rather carnage so. And literally the only reason I want him more red as opposed to what he is, like pink, whatever, it doesn't bother me. But Carnage is kind of like some of the worst excesses of 90s comics in one character. So if you're going to do that character, you have to do him up to the nines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's always been so like over the top. Murder. I mean, literally, Carnage's entire point is to exist to murder. So if you're going to do that, go hard. Have him be the color of blood. And in such a dark movie as that is with a, like, all-black main hero, Mm -hmm. have him be bright and have him be, like, sucking their air out of the room every time he's on the screen. That's what Carnage should be doing if you're going to do him. Visually, at least. That's my opinion. Um. I mean, I I kind of just agree with you. Like, for me, the red and carnage always felt very much like a choice. Mm-hmm. Where in the trailer, his coloring looks more like a side effect of the fact that he seems to be a little bit more like body horror, completely warping Woody than than being just the symbiote summer, taking over. Yeah. yeah. That said. Woody Harrelson looks infinitely better than he did at the post credit scene in the Venom movie, uh, where his wig was awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Woody's fun. Yeah. I like Woody. So I'm curious to see what he's going to do with Cletus. Because we're saying Woody instead of Woody Harrelson, I'm admittedly now uh, imagining the Carnage symbiote taking over Woody from Toy Story, but... Or Tom Hanks, either one. But, um, I'm also interested to watch both of those movies. <laughs> Much more interesting than most Carnage thinks. Um, people are gonna like it. That's kind of my yeah. opinion on it. That's I. It honestly looks kind of. From the trailers look more enjoyable than the first movie, and that first movie made a shit ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see though. We'll see. Maybe all the good parts are in the trailer. God, I hope not all the good parts are in the trailer, because it wasn't that fun of a trailer. (laughs) (laughs) If this is all the good parts, we're fucked. Okay. Um, Next piece of news. Let's go with... You know what? Let's call this one the thing. Okay. Because we're going to kind of yell at Neckbeard some more. This is apparently the yell at Neckbeard's episode. Okay. Uh, Jodie Whittaker has announced she is leaving Doctor Who at the end of 2022, and Chris Chibnall is going with her. We knew it was going to come up, if not this year, the next year was probably, like... They only ever stay on for so long. Tom Baker, who lasts, like, eight years aside, three is the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, she is somewhere between Matt Smith and David Tennant, because David did, like, four and a half, and she's doing, like, three and a half. Because there's the eight-episode season this season, which we also got a trailer for. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is apparently all going to be one story. It's not going to be like single one-off episodes like they usually are. So I'll be interested to see how that works. But like she's somewhere between the two, you know, and then she's getting some specials in 2022 uh, and they're tying it into, I guess, BBC's turning 100. Oh, okay. And a lot of the same neckbeards who are being like, we told you she sucked. No, man, she did fine. 
Yeah. She recently won second place in a best doctors contest. Like that means she'd be either David Tennant or Tom Baker. That's fucking impossible. Yeah. <laughs> the people love those two. She's doing fine. Yeah. She did great. It's just, um, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. So fuck you for celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling at neckbeards. But if they're tying this into the BC centennial, they're not giving up on Doctor Who. No. I'm not surprised Chibnall's leaving either one. This can't have been a while. Like, I'm sure it was really fun to make Doctor Who, but I'm sure it was also very not fun for these two to make Doctor Who with the amount of, like, hate that they have to choose to actively ignore. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised he's leaving either. And there had been hints he was going to stick around for, like, one Doctor and then go. They haven't announced who's coming next yet. And uh, that's why I think a lot of people are like, it's getting canceled. But I saw I saw just this morning uh, Neil Gaiman having to shoot down reports that he was going to be the next showrunner. Neil was never going to be the next no, showrunner. He's like, he, and he said, he's like, I'm spoken for. <laughs> he's <laughs> so busy. He's so busy. Yeah. He can't even write as many episodes of Doctor Who as he would has said that he would like to. God. Oh, Much I'd less love another run the show. Episode. Can you imagine in one Neil-led season? I mean, I've watched Good Omens, so yeah, I can, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it'd make me so happy. In the same way, Idris is not going to be the Doctor. No, I mean, it would be wonderful. I'm super down for it. But, like, Idris is too big. Um, who else did I see who is also too big? Uh, and Michael Shanks is... Probably too busy as well. But I see a whole bunch of... Oh, Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston's oh, not yeah. going to beat the fucking doctor. Come on, guys. <laughs> no, Hiddleston's about to go into production on Loki 2, season 2. You can dream. I get why you're dreaming it, but it's not... No one's dropping down. On the same note, I saw... Capaldi has done several interviews for Suicide Squad, mm. and he's talked about the difference between doing Suicide Squad and doing Doctor Who, and every fucking article clickbaits it into making it sound like Capaldi is slamming Doctor Who. But no, he's just talking about, like, this was a huge DC movie where we had unlimited money. Yeah. My previous big job was Doctor Who, where we did not. <laughs> like, everyone knows Doctor Who is underfunded. It always has been. Right. Weirdly, it's one of those shows that's been going long enough that they can underfund some seasons without too much of a thing, because they already have all the props. Yeah. They don't have to reinvent the dot. Like, part reason why they keep like, here's the new Dalek, and then the next time you see it, it's the same friggin' one from mm-hmm. 2005. Because that Dalek looks great, and it's super expensive to make more Daleks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I got. I'm, I'm sad. I'm excited. I'm everything I feel every time we get a new Doctor. Exactly. Just not celebratory. Get no. fucked. <laughs> I'm only celebratory at, in as far as. New Doctor Who people are coming in, and that's always fun. Exactly. Um, And let's just end off with the Dune trailer. I almost have the least to say about this of all of the things we've talked about. Oh, I'm so excited for it. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that's really what, like, it looks fucking great. (laughs) I I have a fun time watching and re-watching that trailer, trying to figure out a couple... So... Apparently, this movie's only going to be the first half of the book. I thought it was first third, but still, first, either way, like, it doesn't get. It doesn't go all the way through. There's a time so the question skip is, where in Dune, yeah. which would be a good. 
Okay. So that's the question, though. Where does this one end? Has this trailer given any hints as to where this first movie is going to end? I mean, there's literally a point where it just skips forward a couple years and reveals that Paul's been off, you know, Moadibing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm. Pro- it's probably going to get to that point. Like, he'll be kind of not quite in charge of the siege. Him and, like, Stilgar are kind of co-leading at that point. Uh, and right before his first son, who will die, is born. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the the two main Major places... Major spoilers for Dune, I'm sorry. <laughs> the two main places I've I've heard thrown out is that it ends at the time skip, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a natural place, or it ends right after his visions of the future from drinking the water of life. Either one of those would work. I'm betting they're going to kind of merge the two a little bit. Especially because I am, I would put money on uh, the shot in the trailer of him in the golden armor being from one of his visions of the future. Which works because I didn't care for that golden armor it doesn't fit with a lot of the way that paul ran things and why they respected him but i also understand that there is a need to have your main character pop from the rest of the army from a purely cinematic scale Mm -hmm. and especially at that point in the campaign yeah exactly it's interesting i only have really two kind of notes well three notes one jason momoa's duncan idaho looks super charming but it's also jason momoa like it's jason, it's jason momoa, momoa playing man. jason momoa again <laughs> uh, are we going to get far enough that him being duncan idaho really matters well it doesn't in the entire first book so no i'm torn between really enjoying what i saw of their gurney and really not enjoying because okay. it reminded me of how Patrick Stewart played Gurney, and I really loved that, partly because I really love Patrick Stewart. But it's not incredibly accurate to the book. Because mm-hmm. they have that, like, smile, Gurney. I am smiling. Like, oh, that's well done. But At which point I was like, oh, my God, Brolin for uh, Gregor Eisenhorn. But Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in the books, Gurney's a bard. Yes. Like, he's angry and super into the idea of murdering some damn Harkonnens. But then he'll also jump into a weird song that has a slight dick reference if you read through enough layers of it. Did you catch the uh, apparent this movie um, pronunciation of Harkonnen? Harkonnen doesn't surprise me. I like Harkonnen much Me better. Me too. I think like I've Harkonnen always said Harkonnen. Definitely probably rolls through the lines a little easier than mm-hmm. being like, those damn Harkonnens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the other thing I noticed was I recently reread the beginning of Dune and then fell off because who has that kind of time? And I was the, considering doing the same myself. <laughs> the audiobook that I'm listening to is admittedly only okay. Mm. Um, but I don't think most of those scenes happened. The, like, what if I was, what if I'm the last of the Atreides? Oh, I'm 90% yeah. sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, those scenes. Okay. Does he tell, I don't think he tells Duncan about his dreams. I don't think so either. I saw somebody bring up sort of the same point, but with how much action was shown in this trailer. And That's I was like. Thing. Dune's not an action. Well, it is and it isn't I was about to say, heavy. it is extremely action heavy, but not in the foreground. 
most of the action is confined to, and then there was a fight, and then it moves back on to what Paul was thinking. Which is why I've never been convinced you can adapt Dune. It's so cerebral, annoyingly cerebral. Mm-hmm. As, like, one of my all-time favorite books, it is obnoxious in its, like, kind of hoity-toity intellectualism. Um, but, like, a number of different, like, Fremen raids and shit happen in the background that are kind of just acknowledged in, like, one-off sentences and stuff. That's true. It could make a really good action movie, even if it makes a bad Dune movie. So I'm not, like, I'm going to enjoy myself watching this I'm just going to be really curious to see how they grab the the feel of the book. I loved the design of the Emperor still deciding to work in some of the Lynch. I can float way up there if I want That's to. That's not the Emperor. That's uh, I mean, not the, emperor. The, the Baron. Sorry, yeah. No, you're fine. I'm just... Yeah, yeah the Baron. Like, he that was still cool. cool. That looked really cool. I'm glad they ditched the 80s, like, pustules thing that mm-hmm. was only in the movie. It looked great, but it's very much tied it into the David Lynch movie that I don't want them to borrow too heavily from. Uh, I liked get. We saw a little bit in the first trailer, but I liked getting to see even a little bit more of the shields at work. Oscar Isaac looks a lot of fun as Duke Leto. Uh, one of the small details that blew my fucking mind was it appears that we get to see the, the Harkonnen attack uh, on the Atreides, mm-hmm. and they're using the shields on the ship against them. They're shooting the ship shields, which are making them react, which is wiping out the forces underneath them. <sighs> which, that's... That's fucking dark. Yeah. And I'm also... Almost positive. The way that the trailer's cut, it makes it look like it's Duncan walking out into the desert. I'm pretty sure that's a back shot of Leet Keynes. We haven't seen Keynes yet. And we only get like a half second of Stilgar. Yeah. I love Stilgar. I should... I, yeah, yeah, I can talk about this. We were at, I was at one point working on a Dune reread podcast that we admittedly kind of abandoned because I am not smart enough for that podcast. (laughs) Like I just realized this I'm smart, but other people had more interesting things to say. Uh, but man, I fucking love Dune so much. (laughs) And because it's not a huge franchise in the way that a lot of other of my big loves are, I don't have many people I can talk to about it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, Oh, and Dave Desmalchin is almost unrecognizable as, uh, uh, Peter. Yeah. On the other hand, Dave Batista is 100% Dave, <laughs> Dave Batista. <laughs> like Dave Batista with no eyebrows is still clearly. So he'll be great for the beast Raban. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Dave Batista. <laughs> also, I still don't think they've announced a fade casting. We might not even see fade in this first movie. I think that's a mistake, but man, Casting Fade has to be the most stressful one because you have to go up against Sting. And it's not like Sting did a great job, but But he did an iconic job. Such an iconic job. The Righteous! Oh my god. I have convinced people to watch that movie purely off saying Sting acts in it. I've tried using that. There's, There's one cat that I work with that I've been trying to convince to watch that movie. 
and it has not worked on him yet. But okay. even though he is a Dune fan, I'm just like, dude, just give it a shot. If you're a Dune fan, you do have to go in with like your brain turned as low as possible. It's weird how recognizable it is, though. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Um, actually, end of this month, I should be getting my 4K of the Lynch Dune. Oh, hell yeah. I mean... This is making me want to watch it. I don't know if I'm going to put my wife through that tonight, but I want to. <laughs> I see him as a Atreides I'd like to kill. <sighs> Good times. All right. That's it for news, though. Yes, that is it for news. So let's take a quick break and come back and talk about what we're actually here to talk about. Gunpowder milkshake. So this is probably the only place I can say this and have someone kind of understand what I mean. The feeling I got from this movie is like... 2007 to 2015 Warren Ellis. Okay. Like when he's kind of burned out on writing comics. So he's just like writing slick action graphic novels that are admittedly really fucking pretty, but are really kind of like plot light. Oh good. I'm glad you're saying a version of what I was going to say. <laughs> Cause I was going to say gunpowder milkshake is the perfect name for this movie because there's fucking nothing to it. It's tasty and flashy and there's no nutritional value to be had. None whatsoever. And by that, I had a lot that, of fun watching this movie. That's but. not necessarily a bad thing. I always enjoy a milkshake. Personally, I had one while I was watching the green Knight yesterday and it helped make my experience even better. Second but. of, I'm just going to count the Green Knight references you make through this episode. <laughs> um, and then while I was watching the Green Knight. <laughs> three, I'm counting that. Yeah, you're counting. Uh, I am going to say this just before we dive in. Apparently this is Zach's Pathos episode in a couple of places. We're going to be talking about guns. And I got me some opinions about guns. And someone I know, not someone I knew well, but someone I know was recently involved in a pretty horrific gun violence experience. So I'm feeling those feelings about guns really strongly right now. So I'm just going to get this out there. I am not anti-gun. I am extremely against gun like fetishization and romanticization. That's not a word, but it's close enough. It's close enough to the word. We all know what you were saying. That said, so I might have occasional like, oh my God, stop being so happy about guns moments in this. That said, I super get why shoot 'em up is an action thing because you can do so many pretty things with a murder happy action movie. I'm trying to think of where to start in on this because this is an interesting one. One of the things going into this movie that I, I thought about going into it and I think you realized right away is like, this isn't your genre. No, it's not one I know much at all. And it's one that I always kind of mean to get into. But again, with my mixed opinions about how much we glorify guns in this country, it's been a hard one to step into. Like, I really want to watch John Wick. I'm told that it's fucking great, but I just keep not. Because, like, me going into this movie, it's... I'm trying to think how to, how to say this. Like... All the reviews I read use the word formulaic a lot. It's okay. Mm, it is formulaic, but in a in a different way than I think that term is usually used. 
Um, it was kind of easy to guess what was coming next because of tropes within the genre. I don't think I was surprised a single time watching this movie. Uh, because of tropes within the genre. But the thing, the thing about this movie is that it's kind of Tarantino light. I've read that review too. I was curious how accurate that was. Cause I don't, I've seen several Tarantino films. I don't know him well enough to be like, well, this is a clearly wishes it was Tarantino thing. It I does. I can see how it was. It does the same thing his films do in that it wears its influences very obviously on its sleeve. It felt slicker than Tarantino usually is, though. It It's stylized in a different way than he does. Okay. His stylization tends to be a little bit grittier. Yeah. A little bit tri- more traditional pulp, whereas this leans into the more modern, like, John Wick aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And bright colors. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's John Wick aesthetic. Well, uh, from number two on. Okay. <laughs> um, not so much number one. John Wick 1 and 2 is like Evil Dead 1 and 2. They're oh. basically the same movie, except they know what they're doing in the second one. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, admittedly... My main experience with, like, the straight action genre, just normal people with lots of guns and knives, is James Bond. And on they're not super this, action genre for the most part. And so, this isn't very Bondy. No. Uh, so this would, was interesting for me because what might have been like, oh, we've seen this a hundred times. I don't know. I will say, being someone who does enjoy a lot of Tarantino and who just said this feels like Tarantino light... I don't think it was actually directly inspired by Tarantino. I feel like this took its inspiration from the exact same things that, that Tarantino takes his inspiration from. Yeah. If that it, makes sense. Similar to where a lot of Guy Ritchie takes inspirations from, I think that that like one short story about a specific crime. I was trying to think of exactly how to to categorize it, too, because it's also not just a shoot 'em up the best action scenes are the ones without the guns for the most part. We'll get into that, but and it's kind of the what I ended up falling down to on this as being someone who does love action movies uh across their various subgenres, although not as much as like I'm into like horror, I guess, cuz I can actually name horror subgenres and with action movies I'm more just like it's like this movie. <laughs> so you have this thing with kung fu films where through the tradition of kung fu films there's a strong comedic element and it's strong enough that it's not surprising in the least when it's there but it's not required to be part of the genre. I feel like this movie is that for the new style John Wick action. Okay. This is sort of the more irreverent, but is still playing on the edge of all of that. Um, yeah, I don't even know action movies and was like, <laughs> well, this is clearly John Wick, but not. But it's also just kind of, I felt like an homage to most action movies from about the early 90s on. Uh, I feel like I caught reference, like there's obvious references to The Professional, um, parts of it definitely felt inspired by uh, uh, like Park Chan-wook's work with Old Boy, 
parts of it felt not so much like Tarantino to me, but more like Robert Rodriguez did in Desperado, especially because parts of this movie, as shown by the score, are lifted from westerns. I really liked the score in this. I don't know. There, there's, I keep. I keep going back around to Tarantino, but there is at least one scene that I think is blatantly referencing at least the same thing Tarantino referenced in Kill Bill. So there's a super similarity there. It does have some Kill Bill vibes to it. Um, I liked it better than I like Kill Bill. There was some Jackie Chan in there. There was some shit in there that reminded me of like the Crank movies. Um, Those are Jason Statham, right? Mm -hmm. Those were fun. I don't know. I I don't know how you want to go through this, and I'll point out those some of these different things okay. when we get to them. To start with, I guess, the very basic plot, and we have to... The complicated plot is very basic, so this is... Yeah. But honestly, it's kind of the same plot of The Mandalorian. Murder-happy guy from a group of murder... Ha like, a murder-happy club ends up with a small child and has to go up against the other murder-happy people to protect it. Except instead of Baby Yoda, we get an eight and three quarters girl. Yeah. Eight years old. Eight and three quarters years old girl, not just like a percentage of a girl. Um, That's super simplified. I will say there's <laughs> a little bit more to it, which... Not much. <laughs> the, the world is really kind of more there than the plot, but the world I enjoyed. I wanted... I kind of wanted this movie to be about the background characters of the librarians, the Angela Bassett and uh, uh, Michelle Yeoh. And I'm sorry, I don't know the other one's name. Oh, Carla Gugina. Yeah. I kind of wanted the movie just to be about them instead of. Well, that's kind of an interesting part, because part of, I think, what drew both of us to this movie was its cast. But for different reasons. You were excited about Lena Headey. I was excited about Lena Headey and Angela Bassett, Queen Ramonda. Was she in... Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> She's not the person that was Liv Ten in Doctor Who, is she? Because that's who I thought it was at first. In The Beast Below? Oh, I no, I don't believe so. Okay. No, no. Um, that's no, my bad. Uh, that's who I thought it was at first, but I was like, I don't think that's right. No, like, okay, so Lena Headey was probably the biggest draw for me, just because I think I've loved everything I've ever seen her in. She's fantastic. Um, and also, there's a there's a Motu crossover. Yeah. Because she kills it as evil in. But then number two down for me, like, I know that you're all about Michelle Yeoh, but I was like, hold up, Angela Bassett's in this movie? Because, um, like, that's a get. She, she, I, this is kind of a depressing movie to have watched over and over again in my youth, but she was Catherine Jackson in The Jacksons, An American Dream. I watched that many times when I was a kid. <laughs> okay, so yes, the actress I'm thinking of is completely different, but her face is just close enough that I'm like, okay, I can kind of see how I... Um, another one that I watched way too many times for how depressing of a movie of it is, as it is as a young child was uh she's Tina Turner and what's love got to do with it uh she's still in how Stella got her groove back yeah she's fucking fucking she, Reva and boys in the hood she might have been my favorite part of this movie if we're honest like I really like Michelle Yeoh and I really enjoyed her in this one but I don't know there was something about Angela Bassett that was 
I have no idea what the characters' names are. I'm not even pretending to know the characters' names for the most part. Uh, she was in Contact, which is one of the first movies that I remember to ever have bored me. I thought it was a good movie looking back on it, but I just watched it at a I time when been, it was not interesting to me. I have been meaning to watch Contact since I was about 15 because I was the same way. I watched it at like 10. It was like, I was promised a space movie. Yeah. yeah. What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, I'm... I know I've rewatched it and thought like, oh, wait, that is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but when you were brought with a space movie as a 10 year old, contact is not what you were hoping for. Yeah. Angela, ba I was like, oh, shit, she's a get in some ways. That's kind of the biggest letdown of this movie because you wanted more <clears throat> of her or. Yeah, I guess. It would have been easy to use her character for a lot more and to show off how good of an actress Angela Bassett actually is. They've announced a sequel, and it really does feel like the librarians are going to have a bigger part in the sequel, just the way they set up the ending. So here's hoping. Angela Bassett looked like she was having a hell of a time making this movie. I guess that's the thing. So the no nutritional value I was referring to with the uh -huh. milkshake bit is that there's, like, no emotional depth to this movie. And when you have these actresses, there could have been very easily. That's a very good way of putting it. And yeah. you could still use tropes from the genre to make it happen. Like, you don't have to abandon the kind of movie that this is mm -hmm. in order to make it happen. And if you're not going to give me the emotional journey, then this movie is far too long at two hours. If you're not going to give me an emotional journey, this movie could have been an hour and 40 minutes. I think I was sketching while I was watching this movie, which helped the length be less of a problem. I think if I was just, like, sitting in a theater, I would have been really fidgety by the end of this movie. It is a problem of this movie that it is like 50 minutes in between uh, the first time we see Lena Headey and the next time. Damn, that is a long time. And it's like 45 minutes in between the introduction of the librarians and when we get to see them again and more like closer to an hour before we get to see them actually doing anything of substance. I do not disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the action scenes, though. Like, admitting that this movie has its flaws of... It's almost hard to talk about because the characters are just... They're the actors. I felt like they they were kind of blank. Mm -hmm. And I felt like they were blank for a reason, was so that you could more easily see all the references the director was making. Like, it was very much style before stubs substance. Which, once again, an action movie, you don't need a lot of substance... It's just kind of disappointing when you have these this ingredients cast, being thrown yeah. in. Yeah, when Karen Gillan might have been the weakest part of your movie, and she did fine still, mm -hmm. that's very much. But okay, acknowledging this part of the flaws, mm -hmm. let's talk about the action a little bit. Because I did, and as, as someone who doesn't know the genre as much, I did really enjoy... Those, that bowling scene alley fight where no are using guns? The first big set piece is the bowling scene fight, because all the other shootouts before that get uh, cut away from. Mm -hmm. um, the bowling alley fight is wonderfully done. Um, that dude that gets was, tasered in the nuts like three times and just keeps going. The That's the first fight where it's like, oh, look at all these references. <laughs> I'm like, you have the, the alternating blue and red across the... Um, lined LCDs in the background in Samurai Fiction from 1998. You have an extremely famous scene of over the opening credits 
they're dueling in front of a red screen that has that's like gridded off, mm -hmm. which Tarantino then referenced in Kill Bill by having the bride do the same fight in the House of Blue Leaves against the Crazy 88s in front of a blue screen. It kind of reminded me of Highlander a little bit. Oh. Highlander did that a few times, too. And then the attacking from both sides and the propensity to go back to... Uh, they didn't one-shot it as famously as Park Chan-wook did, but the the angles and the attacks that they were doing on her was very reminiscent of the most famous fight scene from the movie Old Boy, which is like this hammer scene, which I think is intentionally referenced again by giving the big Angela the hammer. No, oh. Angela Bassett the hammers later on. Oh, okay. I was thinking of the sledgehammer mm -hmm. that the big dude has. Also, like, oh my god, old boy, so good. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like I said, this one was like this. This was. It was it was like a real milkshake for me. It was like candy for me because I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh shit, that's Samurai Fiction, but it's also Kill Bill, but it's also Old Boy. Oh Ooh. hell yeah, I'm having fun. Ooh, but I like that. Not, I I kind of knew that we might have this problem going into this ep movie because we hadn't neither of us had seen it before we uh, decided to do this episode of similar to our Jody episode of like yeah, I enjoyed this. I. Don't well, you have know wildly what? strong opinions. Well, I I have wildly strong opinions of telling you, go watch those fights that I just referenced, and you'll see how they're being referenced in that fight in Gunpowder Milkshake. Hell yeah, I'm down. I am probably going to watch this again, possibly tonight, because my wife didn't get to watch it, and I think she would enjoy mm -hmm. murder librarians and Amy Pond shooting people. and The... I mean, it's been you this this trope of having an undercover society of some sort being hidden mm -hmm. kind of in plain sight as a different business is just kind of a trope going back a while. But that's one of the very like John Wick modern things that they kind of did in this. It is also a trope that I'm a giant fucking sucker for. If yeah, I love it. Secret society hidden under our normal society that has cool kung fu action. Just shoot that shit into my veins, if we're being honest. It's Shang-Chi. Um, but the library in modern action was very reminiscent of the Continental Hotel, which is like... That's what I've heard. ...the base of operations in John Wick, so... And it's not quite the same thing, but the diner felt a whole lot like Max Pub and Dresden Files mm. to me. Here's our neutral ground. Give me your gun. Mm -hmm. Which is, yeah, that's also a little continentally, too. I did, uh, yeah. Which, that kind of all fits with how it's also tied into the firm. And, yeah, anyway. Um, the thing with the secret societies under and stuff, part of the stylization that I loved this movie was I felt like the almost hyper-realism that was being illustrated through the use of the lighting in this movie made it feel like this was kind of just its own world that was, like, superimposed over ours. Like, they're technically happening in the same reality, but it's kind of also happening on its own plane of existence that we almost aren't able to, to perceive because it's only happening in these light bands. Mm-hmm. Almost like a secret society should really feel. Yeah. 
I kind of feel like this is what I'm just apparently going to compare it to comics every time. I kind of feel like this is what Mark Miller wishes he could make on some level. Oh, in some ways, this reminded me of Wanted. Um, Wanted, I thought I was going to kind of Kingsman, which is more Bondish. Oh, and but very, yeah, Kingsman, Kingsman as well. Well, Kingsman does the, the not necessarily hiding in plain sight, but hiding under the guise of Something a else. certain facade yeah. very well. The comics less so, though, I think is like, anyways, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not here just to be mean to Mark Miller, but... <laughs> What's the next big fight after the bowling alley? The Oh, I actually like... Th- I mean, I keep being like, oh, I like this. It wasn't great. I like this. Uh, she loses the use of her arms. and the, has to, The like, doctor's office fight. Yeah, she has to, like, swing around, and their guns are taped to her hands, and... That all felt very mid-'90s Jackie Chan to me. Yes. Yeah, it did, with the, like, swinging and the... No, it was... Those were some of the movies I actually watched of the action genre, so I, I can definitely see what you're saying there. I felt like that was much longer than 60 seconds. Yes. Because it's supposed to be like, her arms won't work for 60 seconds, and then it's like the next 20 minutes her arm doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Which is fine, but don't say 60 seconds if it's going to... Oh, the whole ending up with, like, mentoring a kid and kind of, like, half bringing her into this world and shit, too, is just blatantly a reference to the professional. Okay. Uh, which is uh, 1994, uh, I believe, first Natalie Portman feature film. Yeah, I've seen bits of it at the Yeah, Gene Reno. I I know what it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gary Oldman. (laughs) Gary Oldman. God, I love Gary Oldman. And when she first talks to the librarian and and they're asking her, like, what her... What her type is, and she's like, I guess a professional type, and they're like, oh, so no women, no children. So they are very direct there. Mm Mm-hmm. Would never have caught that. <laughs> that's what that like I said. That's where I was like, "Oh, this is candy for me. This is great. I get what they're, I get what they're referencing." It's this movie does the same thing for me that a Tarantino movie does or a Robert Rodriguez movie does, which I do feel like this feels more Bob Rod than Tarantino. But see, I still think you keep thinking of Guy Ritchie not in style, but in that same kind of story that Guy Ritchie was enjoying with, like some of his higher level crime stuff he doesn't reference much outside that particular genre though. that's true but as someone who doesn't get those references mm-hmm. <laughs> i could see that though with the frenetic energy of this movie mm-hmm. uh, and again and not as much style like you're not gonna have that like same mad slowdown and the same pacing but the the brief story of like let's give you just enough about these characters and then go into what the crime is mm-hmm in this case, murder. Lots of fucking murder. Lots of murder. Um, the it, doctor office... Oh, God, that was so fun. The doctor's office fight. The doctor's office was good. It does kind of drive home the points where I'm like, okay, they should respond at least a little bit to whatever injury they just took. And this mm. happens throughout the whole movie. She gets shot in the arm and, like, barely even, like, flinches from it like mm, no i'm not saying you have to be out of the fight but no (laughs) that all leads into like the the car garage right yes because they fight their way out of the uh doctor's office get in the car garage 
have the decent car action scene. I was trying to place what that felt like to me. I was having a harder time. I don't go in, in as much for like car chase action. It's fine. It's just not as much my gig as like the martial arts side and like the gunplay side. I'm sure it's not a direct reference to what it made me think of, although they're probably referencing the same things. It made me think of the inevitable car park mission in like every Grand Theft Auto I've ever played. Oh, yeah, I can see that. The only the only thing I was able like the beginning part of this didn't remind me of the the action in this series at all, but like the way it ended up with her pushing two cars mm-hmm. just full on while getting clip after clip or mag after mag emptied just right at their faces with a bulletproof window in between and like one guy's head ending up getting knocked off by the fucking forklift and shit. That energy all felt crank to me. Okay. See, other than the head ripped off part, I kind of thought of Captain America winter soldier. Oh, with okay. Fury. Again, I don't think it's a direct reference. I think it's just, Once again, the I'm car side of thing are... isn't as much my thing. Like I, I did feel like, I felt like there was inspiration coming from something there, but I just couldn't place my fucking finger on it. I thought it was well done. It was, for me, the most forgettable part of this movie. Yeah. Also, that little girl, I recognize that she's clearly just going through shock and stuff, but she is weirdly chill with everything that's going down. Like, weirdly willing to put up with stuff. Okay. Here's where we meet Lena, isn't it? Yeah, Lena comes back into the the picture. Lena is playing Karen Gillan's mom, who has now, Karen Gillan has now, you know, saved a child and pissed off everyone else in the process, which I suppose we didn't talk about too much. Uh, I was expecting a lot more like, I'm not going to apologize for the decisions I made. And Lena, I did actually kind of appreciate, was like, I fucked up. Yeah. I was expecting her to be harder I I don't know the way all of that played out just didn't have me invested at all I kind of didn't care I think there was ways they could have made me care and they didn't I don't disagree with you on that with with as many characters as they've really already introduced once Lena comes back in which I've already said I think Lena should have been back in sooner than she was Mm -hmm. you probably could have just done without the car chase Sorry, I know that's some yeah. some people's thing, and it is a staple of having one in the middle of an action movie, but... like the, They're always, like, my least favorite part when I do watch an action movie. As much as I get it, like, you get her in there sooner, and you get them back together with the librarian sooner, and suddenly with all that character interaction, I think you can also play with the emotional story more. And give them all big badass moments in the meantime. Yeah. Like, it's, you don't have to sacrifice one because of the other. Like, I think there's tropes and stuff you could have leaned into and things that were already set up by the dialogue. Like, there's the joke of Lena being like, oh, shit, am I a grandmother? They spend no time on it, though. But if you get everybody back together, you could have Lena noticing how much Karen is caring for the kid. And so then her trying to take a grandmotherly figure to try to reconnect to Karen, who's still cold at her mom for disappearing for 15 years. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Through that connection, Karen could see the other more maternal side of her mom and want to try to get to know that part of her, maybe even get more aggravated in the process, in which point she has an awesome heart-to-heart -heart talk with Angela Bassett, who's also had to go through having her own hard feelings for her mom disappearing for 15 years. Then you get Angela Bassett getting to show off her acting chops. Yeah, because the closest we get to that is in a few scenes where Angela Bassett confronts Lena Headey and then kind of forgives her. And it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it was like four seconds long. Yeah. Just because I like Angela Bassett. Uh, but before that, here's where we go back to the library. That's all cool. The like, library fight scene was very cool. It's hard to talk about a movie that's almost purely cool on a visual thing in a purely audio format. Well, and even bringing up, like... Like, I'm trying to specifically bring up what I'm noticing these fights are referencing, and that's not even truly doing, like, proper justice to the visual style of these fights. Truly, um, although this is in the John Wick vein, mm -hmm. I would say it is just as much in the Birds of Prey vein. I wouldn't have seen that, but now that you mention it, it's probably why I like it. There's... And it would be easy to write off that statement as like, oh, they're both girl action movies, but it's if there's the, a certain stylization and it's the pacing and it's the the way they use colors in a few moments. Mm -hmm. Oh, the use of color in this movie is fantastic. It's phenomenal. Um, Putting some her, of it even reminded me of like uh, like Italian giallos and stuff from the 70s and putting her in bright orange and white. I thought, which is weird because I don't usually like those colors together much, but I thought, I don't know, it just visually really, it helped her stick out of everything. Mm -hmm. The initial part of that library fight, when uh, Lena and Karen are first sort of like rushing up the aisle at the enemies before it starts to cut away to Angela and Michelle doing mm -hmm. their thing, and Carla. Um, we'll talk about Carla in a minute, I have thoughts there. That, they kind of... That weirdly reminded me of the um, Night Owl Silk Spectre in the prison, minus all the slow-mo. On some level, I sort of went the Matrix with it. The scene in the bank mm -hmm. with Neo and Trinity. Which was in that Matrix game they made, which was a terrible fucking game. That scene was it's still super fun as a level. <laughs> that game could get interesting. We do not have time to tackle the PS2 Matrix video game on this podcast. No, we do not. <laughs> uh, Especially not at, without a proper replay. Anyway, <laughs> I would do it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The book lover part of me kept, kept being like, stop cutting holes in these books. Look, I kept mentioning that like this movie feels a little bit more Bob Rod than Tarantino. I somehow wonder if the library thing isn't a reference to, like, Selma Hayek's character in Desperado hiding, like, all of the gang money in her library in Mexico before she becomes an action girl alongside Antonio Banderas. Hmm. It's possible. I don't think it is supposed to be. But, but it I'm sure like, works that way. It works that way. And I'm like, that's cool. I'm down. This whole fight, I really was torn between. This is really fucking cool. Like, stop ruining a library. They're a sacred place. It was already ruined. 
You couldn't have read any of those I know, books. and that's kind of where my frustration was. <laughs> I was super with the one that was like, you'll need, uh, and you'll oh, need an reading. Agatha Christie for reading. Because everyone needs a fucking Agatha Christie for reading. She's delightful. For me, the undersung acting hero in this movie is Carla Gugino. I think she was putting... She wasn't hamming it up, but she was making sure to put emotion into everything her character did in her limited screen time in this movie. Well, still not, like, being torn out of the weird style choices they were making. Like, it was... She didn't have a single moment where she talked like a normal person would talk, but she did. You're right. She had... And I'm not saying anybody else was phoning it in, either. It felt like Carla was intentionally, like, I only have... This Eight long. minutes <laughs> yeah. of screen time. Well, and the librarians, there's the angry one, Angela Bassett. There's mm-hmm. the just happy to be doing things one, who's Michelle Yeoh. And they both kill it in their roles, but that that's literally all there is to them. Mm-hmm. And then there's the caring one, who is Carla. Gugino. Gugino, yeah. thank you. And she gets to kind of be the most fun, because she gets to be the caring one while also being like, well, time to murder. Who was old Silk Spectre in The Watchmen. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I didn't know that. And she was a Marv's probation officer in Sin City. I didn't know that either, but that doesn't... That fits. I felt like... I'm not surprised... Spoiler. I'm not surprised that she gets it, that she gets ganked real fast. Right. If anyone was going to die, it was going to be her. Uh, It was going to be her or it was going to be Alina. Or Alina. That's very fair. But I felt like they could have just given her a better moment in that fight scene. I I agree. I f- wish she would have had a little bit more to do if they were going to kill her. Because she, you know, like she had the minigun. I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. And then it doesn't really happen. And it doesn't do any good for the most part. Like, no. Well, and they had that big thing of her with, they they give her Tommy Tomahawk. She finds her axe that Karen's character had stolen. And they let her fight with it, but, like... That fight's pretty truncated. And she doesn't win that fight. So let her win some of the fight with the fucking axe if you're going to Chekhov's axe it. And that's as much as we actually get to see her with the axe after she's reclaimed it. I mean, she's already been shot in the chest, so she like it made sense she didn't do anything that cool with it, mm-hmm. but also it was just... Eh. Sorry, I skipped us forward a little oh, bit no, there. Oh, no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I don't know. I mean, all of that was really cool. Like I said, I, with the fact that I'm pretty sure that the bowling alley fight already intentionally referenced old boy a little bit, I'm pretty sure Angela Bassett got hammers for the same reason. So that would make sense. I really enjoyed. We didn't get much of them, but I did enjoy uh, Yo and Bassett's fight scenes here where they both go into a separate, like, mm-hmm. kid's corner, and they're both, you know, super overdone library kid's corners, which I would have fucking loved at, like, eight years old. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, no, those, I mean, those were all cool. I didn't, other than the hammers, I didn't notice anything specific from those. I'm sure there's something having to do with whips that I and chains that I know missed with Michelle Yeoh, but it's enough of an action movie thing that like I, yeah. I noticed too, as kind of a trope. I don't know where it's from though. On, as we get into the back half of the movie, one of the other 
kind of criticisms I had sort Please. of started to stick out a little bit more was we brought up Paul Giamatti in the beginning. One of the weaker parts of this movie is splitting most of the bad guy time between three different villains that are never really any of them fleshed out. Yeah. Like Giamatti's most interesting character moment is right at the very end. The way that he's sort of comporting himself and uh, speaking down to the little girl right before he kind of gets put in his place by a laser beam. See, that's not the most interesting moment for me, but also I'm super aware that like Giamatti was doing everything he could with what he had. And there was not much there. Uh, for me, the most interesting thing is he's supposed to like really care about Karen Gillian's character, but not be able to, you know, not enough to actually do anything. Mm -hmm. And Giamatti tried really hard. And there were moments where he kind of sold that, but Again, they just, he had like 12 seconds to sell that. So, I mean, there's only so much he can do. I guess, I guess it was the most interesting for me because it felt the most in this movie where he was pulled together as a character. And not just, hey, Paul Giamatti's there. And not just, yeah, and not just like, hey, Paul Giamatti's there and is reacting to everything going on around him. And like having to like be the middleman between these groups of people. He just felt more like someone who actually is in charge of a certain level of crime in that scene, I guess. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because all we get is smatterings of him. Um, like sure Ralph Innocent's last couple scenes, he actually like knocks it out of the fucking park with first seeming like actually being slightly sympathetic with the way he's laying on the emotion talking about how like how the death of his son affected him but then he completely flips it around with like oh no first she's gonna see what i do it to you what i do to you also i'm fucked up also ralph innocent's like in a moment right now make use of that he's fucking hot shit right now and he is killing it in every role he is in <laughs> like the green knight <laughs> the problem is they need to cut something out of this movie to give it the air it needs to to put real like depth behind anything. But the only place they might have room to cut really is the librarians, and they're my favorite part of the movie, so I don't want them to cut that. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't have to cut time if you just reorder things to give the like to make you care about the characters in the meantime. Yeah. Or, like, focus more on character. Like I said, like, you don't have to focus on these three different villains. You can make one of them just a fucking mook. Because I didn't even bring up the other cat yet that gets a shit ton of screen time. That's the, the one that's actually, like... The cousin or whatever yeah, I think it is. He, or the nephew. Yeah, he, he kills the librarian lady and mm -hmm. just... Sucks. And he gets way more screen time than he needs for who his character is. Yeah, they'd spent, like, 30 seconds on him putting on fucking... Brass knuckles. Yeah. We did not need that time there. Um, he was the mini boss. Yeah. And he wasn't even that good of a mini boss. No. Although, like I said, I'm pretty sure he's the one that gets Michelle Yeoh's eye in the diner. That would make sense. Ooh, I might be wrong, though, because 
He's not the one that also jumps out the no, window. No, I think he's the, the one that jumps out the window. Okay, so he wouldn't be the one that got her eye then, because I think that guy gets put down quite a bit earlier. I noticed the eye when it happened first time through, but... You're right. I, I clearly recognize that he was supposed to relatively matter, but he just... Every time he showed up, I had to be like, who's this guy? Oh, right. Yeah. Don't care. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of... Um, I don't know. There was no... It was just too many... It was fun. I'm going to end up recommending this movie. To people. To people. But... But, like, at the same time, like, there was no characters in this movie. I... Okay, like, uh, fucking... Um, Karen's character's name is Sam. Only because they say it so many times. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, th- I feel like this is the type of movie where, like, if my dad were to watch it, he'd come away asking, okay, so which one was Gunpowder Milkshake? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Watch this movie. Put it on. Maybe have some dinner while you're doing it. Turn off your brain and watch the pretty colors for two hours. Yeah. You'll have fun. I'm glad that they have announced a sequel, because this does feel like a very good prequel to more stories to come. It's a great introduction of these characters. I just now want to actually see those characters. And again, every actor looks like they're enjoying themselves here. So... Look, yeah, if When actors are having fun making a movie, I'm pretty open to them making more of them. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I interrupted you there. Oh, no, that's fine. I think I was going to just say something along the lines of that (laughs) and would end up agreeing with you, so. I don't think I have anything else to say about this movie. I mean, honestly, I almost want to rewatch it again just to see if I can catch any other action references that I I missed the first two times through. Maybe not, but maybe. I also kind of want to rewatch Old Boy now. It's been a few years. (laughs) Now that I've mentioned that enough times, uh, Old Boy is a fantastic movie, so... It's just kind of uh, dark. I guess that kind of works. Uh, slide into recommendations. <laughs> Beyond old boy, apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah. Recommendations. Ooh, I, uh, yeah, I have a recommendation. Hit me. I will recommend a comic that came out, or a graphic novel that came out, I think about a month ago, a month and a half ago. I don't know if it's out in print, Yet, it was a Comixology original, so it was going digital first. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called Adora in the Distance. Oh, I don't know this one. Uh, Oh, I love it it when I don't know this one. uh, It is written by aforementioned one of my favorite podcasters, Mark Bernardin. It is a pretty simple, heartwarming, slightly sad, but mostly heartwarming story. fantasy adventure story of this little girl in a fantasy kingdom who has to uh, steal up her her courage and make an adventure with her companions to fight or to face the distance, which is this sort of just nebulous bad thing that's coming that's something a little bit different to everybody. Okay. That's, That's what it is on its face. And I think that should be enough to really go on, but I do feel like uh, the kind of listeners might want to that we have might want to know a little bit of the backstory, and it actually adds a little bit of a draw to it. I'm listening, my dude. Um, 
Mar this story was written by Mark for his daughter, uh, who is, uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure the proper language for, for expressing this properly, but who is on definitely on, she's autistic mm -hmm. to the point where she's not always able to, uh, access her emotions to talk to him. She's not nonverbal, but but she's not autistic. quite yeah. uh, entirely able to communicate either. And so this is an adventure story for her, for uh, where she's at when Mark doesn't can't communicate with her for where uh, for the things she's reacting to and the things that are that are making her laugh and making her emotive at different times that she can't access and actually uh, they can't share together. Oh, wow. And I started kind I of tearing up saying this. that. Wow. So. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say this was called? Again? Uh, it's called Adora and the Distance. Adora and the Distance. Okay. Guess he's going to be desperately Googling <laughs> this as soon as I do our parts. It's very specifically not about him. He wanted to do a story set around her and it's all the things he kind of hopes because it can be sometimes to... that can be hard. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. My shit sounds super shallow. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Uh, do you have any others or any more before I jump? No, in? that'll be it. Okay. Because Michelle Yeoh, I'm going to recommend Star Trek Discovery, which also fits into my accidental suck at neckbeards theme of this episode. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh kills it in two different characters in Star Trek Discovery. Check it out. The first season is decent, but like offsettingly dark for Star Trek. By the third season, it plays like a modern show and not like a show from the 90s or the 60s, but like... That's what Next Gen did as well. That's it's uh, it's new, but it's very much Star Trek, and I appreciate that. And then my other one is a comic recommendation. It is also shallow as all fucking get out, <laughs> which was why I was connecting it. But it's the original Wildcats run by Jim Lee. Oh fuck yes! Because I recently got Absolute Wildcats. It's Guess the, who loves Grifter? Yeah, buddy, we've <laughs> talked about this. But it's like the you know big beautiful hardcover with a slipcase and recolored the first several issues, and it's mm. like twice the size, so you get just oh so much beautiful Jim Lee art in it, and it's fucking glorious. But it is the most shallow fucking superhero story that I still really like. Yes. They were not lying when they said that early image comics had, like, full of flavor, no nutrition. Savage Dragon's the only one that came close. I've been really wanting to read some Sta Savage Dragon lately, actually. Yo, actually, I really, even those first ones, I really love the cop shit lands a little differently than it did in 1992. Yeah. But, uh, but damn, it was cool. <laughs> um, and in the same way, and Jim Lee's one of my all time favorite artists. We have a Jim Lee poster in the room we record in. And this is just Jim Lee clearly having so much fun. 
Oh, Wildcats. I started rereading those not a long time ago. Oh, they're fucking baller. Man. I didn't get very far into them, though, they're before not, I got sideswiped by something else. It's not hard to do. I've had to, like, pick it up, read for, like, 20 minutes, put it down, come back again in a day or two. Like, it's just kind of my, like, palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. I'm actually really glad you ended with those so that I didn't just stay, like, emotional over here. So. <laughs> you know, it sort of ties into what we're doing next week, too, which is probably also going to be kind of fun palate cleanser action movie. Yeah. Because we're doing James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Gonna catch some Suicide Squad. When we're recording, is it out or is it about to be out? We are within a couple of days either be, direction. It will be out in four days from when we're recording. Okay. It looks fucking great. I'm so excited. Our, you, had, you had brought this up that you would possibly finally watch. I am going to try. Okay. And... If time comes up and I can't manage it, I'll text you in advance to let you know. But I really want to watch the David Ayer cut before. Not, not because well, not David Ayer cut, but the David Ayer I movie. I wish we could watch the Ayer cut. So That's does David a, Ayer. He kind of yeah. made an ass of himself about this movie recently. Eh, he put out a statement. Yeah, but it was kind of a shitty statement. Yeah, not about this movie. He's talked up James Gunn. No, I just. We'll talk about it more next week, too, but he kind of felt like the, like, I'm really fucking tough. And, uh, my oh, yeah, okay, so the first page of his statement, I agree, but, like... No, he what wasn't he mean actually, about this movie. What he, he actually just, said about the movie, like, I understand, like, he got fucked on his... On, he did, 100%. We'll talk about this a lot yeah. next week, I think. <laughs> uh, but, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, Also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.